In Luke, the 22nd chapter, starting at verse 54, it says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Now, when they say, then seizing him, this is Jesus that they're talking about. Jesus has just been arrested. Peter follows at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. The servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replies. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, today you will disown me three times. I don't know about you, but that's one of those times when I'm sure Peter was looking and going, Oh my gosh. Not only does he fulfill what Jesus had prophesied, that he would disown him, but I think the thing that captures it the most for me is right there when all of a sudden Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Oftentimes in life, even if you make a mistake, it's not nearly as bad if nobody knows about it. Because at least you think, maybe I can turn this around. Maybe it's not as bad as I think. I remember as a kid, we were down playing in the park at the end of the street and being boys, you know, we can't just do normal kid things. We get into a rock throwing contest. And being boys, we progress rapidly from throwing tiny little stones to see how far we could throw them to moving up to more significant rocks. And somehow I got my hands on a rock that was bigger than my hand. And just as I'm rearing back and I've just launched it in the air, darned if the idiot from the street down on the other side goes directly in front of where I've just thrown and gets that rock right in the back of the head. And of course, you know, being a kid, I immediately went and applied first aid, asked him if he was okay, made a, got him home, made sure that he made it, you know, and faced my punishment like a man. Now, I was a kid. My friends and I took off. <laughs> when one of my idiot friends decides to wrap me out back in the time when I started before I was thinking I'm a loyal friend <laughs> my parents find me and I'm hiding in my closet <laughs> again I really thought through that quite significantly ran to my room and ran and hit in the back of the closet like thinking back on it now I'm going man I could have had a much better exit strategy than that I put myself in the first place somebody's going to look and much as it's not hard to find me because I'm in there crying, well, oh my gosh, we'll kill somebody. Turns out he wasn't dead, but as part of the punishment, my parents made me go over to the kid's house. 
and I had to face the kid and apologize for what I did. Okay, now, slight editorial note, I really wanted to say, I'm sorry you got hit in the head with a rock, but if you hadn't been stupid and gone in front of all of us throwing them, you wouldn't have gotten hit. So I don't really know how this is my fault. But my father had explained to me with a belt that that was not the answer that I was going to be given and that I needed to learn. But that's what we tend to do. If we make a mistake, we're not always willing to face it. How much worse is it when we're following the Lord at whatever place we are in our lives and we make a mistake because right away the enemy jumps at you and goes, oh yeah, that's it, you're ruined. You screwed up. That's it. Out with you. They're not going to want to see you. They're not going to want to have anything to do with you. And so we begin to buy into those sort of things. And so for me, it has always helped me because contrary to popular opinion, I make probably more mistakes than everyone else in the room combined. I'm extremely good at them. I've been practicing them for most of my life. I've gotten tremendous at screwing up. In fact, Basically, my kids have learned it's not even a project unless I'm bleeding. It doesn't even count as a project unless I've somehow managed to cut myself while doing the project. Nowhere in the directions does it say, this works best if you bleed on it. But for some reason, over the years I've just discovered, usually because I just want to get into it and not necessarily think the whole process through. So I've learned over the years to make mistakes. And one of the first things I want to bring out to you is perhaps that's important to remember because we can get the idea that everyone around us doesn't screw up. And while others may not tell you that they've screwed up, I've kind of come to the thing in my life where I'm going, yeah, I'm not perfect. I've, over the years I've discovered that other people have noticed that I'm not perfect. But I'd rather tell you that I screwed up and what I did to fix it than to have you think that everybody's perfect. Because if we're thinking that everyone around us is perfect and people don't make mistakes, then when we screw up, we think we're the worst of the lot and the enemy uses that to cut you out. And it's much easier to take somebody down. Think about how animals hunt. The pride of lions when it's hunting, wolves when they're hunting, they don't take down the entire herd. What do they do? They, they run and they start getting the weak. They start getting the animals that they can carve away from the herd. And then they take it down and they eat it. Sometimes in life, in churches, you will find that when you make a mistake, rather than people saying, geez, yeah, that's bad, but everybody fails. Absolutely everybody fails. If there were perfect people in this room, they wouldn't need to be here. Everybody makes mistakes. But we get fooled by the enemy into saying nobody else ever makes a mistake. And the first step we need to realize is everybody makes mistakes. Now for me, it really helps that the Lord has recorded this with Peter, that Peter, he was prophesied 
that he would fail. It was prophesied that he would deny the Lord three times before the rooster crows. And what does he say? No way, Lord, not me. Everybody else may fall by the wayside, but I'm not going to. Okay, I know it's one of those things, but it helps me to know that a guy who has hung out with Jesus from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry screwed up. I've never walked on water. I've never done half of the things. I never saw a miracle of the loaves and fishes, much less see it twice. Peter's seen both of those. He's gone for a stroll on the storm. He's seen the Lord heal all sorts of people. The blind have received their sight. He's seen them set the demon possessed people free. He has seen it all. He's seen Jarius raised from the dead. He's seen Lazarus, I mean Jarius' daughter raised from the dead. He's seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And there he is. And they say to him. Hey, you were with Jesus. And when he me, he's going, oh, no, 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 that wasn't me. You got a case of mistaken identity. I just look like that guy. I assure you, I'm not that guy. Doesn't catch on what's going on. But mere hours after having just told Jesus, not me, Lord, I'll be right there with you. I don't know about you, but I have told the Lord, oh, yeah. You can count on me, God. I'm right there for you. Don't you worry about it. I'm believing you, God. And then I've come to the place in my life where I've gone, oh, crap. This entire time I've been not following him, holding on to him like I should have. And I've had the enemy come along and go, you see, told you, you're good for nothing. You see that? Look, you shouldn't even be serving the Lord. And you have to get to that place where you're going, wait a second, that's not true. Yes, I screwed up. I've made mistakes. I've unintentionally hurt people. And that kills me when I hurt somebody. I don't ever want to hurt anybody. And very unintentionally, while saying something, somebody's been offended and hurt. And what nobody sees behind the scenes is that's broken my heart. Because the last thing I want to do is hurt one of God's children. I've told Christian numbers of times. There's, I have grace for everybody out there. But I have very little grace for me. I hold myself to a high standard. And the person who's hardest on me is not Teresa. It's me. And that's not necessarily the right way to go. See, there you go. Another mistake. Dang, Pastor, you're just hitting them all. But I have learned along the way that Peter's story didn't stop there. But if Peter screwed up and the Lord was still able to use him, maybe, just maybe, he can use me. And by extension, since you stand a far better chance of being able all the mistakes I've made, maybe, just maybe, He can use you. But the trick is, you have to recognize that failure is not the end. The only time failure is fatal is if you give up. No Olympic athlete has ever won a medal the first time out. No Olympic athlete gets up and goes, I'm going to win 
the 400 meter breaststroke. I'm going to have a goal and has never been in the pool. You have to swim and swim and swim and you have goals. You hit some of them. You don't hit others. They don't win every race. Believe it or not, 90% of the time, they don't win anything. Worse yet, what is it? 30,000 Olympic athletes will participate typically in an Olympics? And I think the medals are somewhere in the hundreds. Do you know what that means? That means in the Olympic Village, that place is filled with failures. The Olympics are filled with failures. You know, you're going to be going, oh, well, those are the elite of the country. Yeah. But when compared to everything else, oh, wait, you think maybe that's the trick? Is that you compare it to everybody else? You can find yourself a failure by comparing to others all the time. There's always going to be somebody that you're going to think better than you, that can do things better than you. You ever thought about that? Oh my gosh, I'm a failure. Well, yeah, if you're going to look at it that way, sure. But you know what else? No person's ever a success without having learned that making mistakes is not fatal. It's only fatal if you stay at the place of making mistakes. If we push on and we keep going and we learn from that and we use it as experience, see, something that these two and those two back there are going to learn along the way, I've developed white hairs. Fortunately, I cut them down and they carded me for a, a prescription and they thing about it, I'll take you. The girl just looks at me and I'm like, yeah, here it is. You betcha. Oh, you need my ID? Oh, yeah. Okay, but who remembers when you were younger and you had to use your ID for things and you're going, oh, man, what, you think I don't look old enough? What I didn't realize, no. I have not spent time in bars, but I do have the world's smallest bladder. And so, just outside of Fenway Park as we were leaving and I was trying to get to the car, I'm like, uh oh, I need to use the bathroom. And so the only place I could find was a bar. And I'm going, oh man, I don't want to go into a bar. And then I'm going, oh no, but I don't want to have wet pants either. So it was a toss-up. And so I went to the door, and I didn't even realize that they card people into those things. And so the guy at the front door is going, hey, where's your ID? Here it is, please. And he goes, what's going on? I just said, I need the bathroom, and I know you've got one. And he looks at it and goes, well, you're old enough, otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to use a bathroom. Okay. But sometimes we encounter that and we go, oh, you need my ID. Okay, I'm not going to go in. You know, and then you're that happy with wet pants when you go home. And let me tell you, that's not a good thing to have if you're going to go and be riding in a car. Why do we let failures beat us? Why do we let mistakes beat us? We want to be used greatly by God. We want God to use us. But we let the enemy distract us going, you're a screw-up. Oh, I can't believe it. You said you were going to get up to pray with the Lord at 5 a.m. It's 6 o'clock and you're still in bed. Oh, God's never going to use you and what do we do? Oh, God's never going to use me. I'll just roll over. Successful people do not let mistakes hold them back. 
at some point in your life you will come to a place where you have to say, either this will define me and it will hang around my neck like a medal, or I'm not going to let this be what people say of me. This shall not be the mark that's hung around my neck. That God, if you can use the weak things, if you can use the things that make no sense in the Bible, then okay God, I'm going to put my hand in your hand and somehow in my life you can use this and you can gain glory because I want to see you do great things. I want to see people be touched by you God and I don't care if it's about me. I don't want it to be about what I've done. I don't want it to be that I will never see God do anything because I'm just going to sit and wallow in the mud and go, well, I can't go there. I can't get to the top of that hill because I'm stuck in the mud of my mistakes, my sins, my failures. You know what else does that? Pigs. Pigs are the only ones that wallow in the mud. Pigs and Christians that will never get out of their chair. Christians that will never step up and say, okay God, it doesn't make any sense to me why you want to use me, but I'd rather go with you because somehow you see value in me when nobody else does. Guys, at some point you come to the place in your life with your walk with the Lord that it becomes what He has to say and not what the person around you has to say. Not what the reflection in the mirror has to say. Because if I listen to the reflection in the mirror, I would never get up and preach. It is hard enough for me to step into the building of the church some weeks going, man, God, are you sure? Are you sure you can use me? God, I don't know. There's a lot of other people out there. They can speak better. They look better. They can play music. They can do things better. Or do I go, okay God, you called me. I don't understand it. But you know what I've learned? Best to go with God. Because He knows best. It's not Father knows best on TV. It's God knows best. And for whatever reason, if He says He wants to use me, I may not understand it, but I'd rather go with what He has to say than what anybody else has to say. And even if that face in the mirror saying, you're not going to make it, you can't speak, you can't do this, you can't do that, it's not the can'ts that matter, it's the God that can, and that's what I have to hold on to. And I refuse to have people say to me, especially when it's people about this church, when people say, oh, that person doesn't matter, oh, that person... Do you know what they've done? Do you know where they've been? I don't care about any of that because God has something to say about each of us and it's not any of the bad, it's the good. And it's not that that person won't live. It's not that that person doesn't have strengths and talents. Because you know what? It's what God has to say that matters. And I'm refusing to let the enemy say that where is a beat down, destroyed community? Because it isn't. This is a community that's right on the edge of God doing some of the greatest things and raising up some of the greatest people to ever rise out of this community. Not because of their gifts and abilities. Not because of something else. But rather because God's God. And God said, I'm not done with where. 
And it's going to be a place where my Spirit will be poured out. And that's what matters because things that change lives is God. I'm not going to let the enemy hold anybody back anymore and say, you don't matter. Because you know what? You may not matter to the world. You may not matter to the enemy. But you matter to God. He knows every hair on your head. He knew you when you were in the womb. He knows where you're going to go. He knows the plans He has for you, the purposes. Those are all yours. But we sit and we go, I can't do it. Oh, I can't believe like God. God, I just can't be a saint like Diane. Oh God, I can't just declare the Word. I can't just rest in your favor. Guess what? You're not supposed to do it the way Diane does it. You're supposed to do it your way. Because I can't do it the way Diane does it. You can't do it the way I do it. You know why? Because then it's like your relationship with God. Sorry, Diane, welcome back. <laughs> it would appear that this is pick on everybody. But sometimes, guys, we have to get off of this looking around and saying, I'm not like them. You're not. This is some of the most creative people I've ever seen. But they're also some of the people that sit back and go, I'm going to be this. And God's going, I've got so much better for you. I've got a far greater life. I've got freedom. I've got life. Joy. And we sit there and go, no God, I don't want any of that. That's too much work. What work is it? Well, you know, Pastor, I can't get up in the morning and read my Bible. I can't get up and pray for hours. You know what? Nobody can. No athlete leaps in the pool and goes, I'm going to go swim 400 meters and hasn't even swum a lick. First thing you have to do is learn to swim. We've got to get off of, I'm supposed to do all of this. Because the minute you come up with that list where it's all of this, you're beat. You know where it starts? It starts with God. It starts with a relationship with Him. It starts with God. I don't necessarily even know who you are, what you look like, or what your voice sounds like. Hi, my name's Chris, and I'd like to meet you. God, I don't understand everything that's gone on in church. I don't even understand all the words that they use in church. But God, I want to meet you. I want to know you like some of them do. You know what happens then? You end up with an Elijah. You end up with a Ruth. You end up with a Mary. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mary in the Bible. But Mary in the back's good too. <laughs> but Mary didn't get there. This Mary didn't get there this way. I guarantee you, you talk to anybody else in this room that's been serving the Lord for a while, heaven forbid their life has not been perfect. Chances are it's been marked with suffering. It's not been easy. But you know, when it's with God, and I can tell you this day in and day out, when you're walking with the Lord Almighty and you look back later, it's not going to be the difficult time that you remember. One of the greatest things that I've discovered 
about us as humans is found in women that are mothers. And I don't know, understand how this happens, but for some reason a mother can sit in labor for 30 hours and have pain, excruciating pain, pain beyond all belief. And the doctor takes that baby and places that baby in the mother's arms. And almost like that, 80% of the memory of that pain drops away. Because if we focus on the bad, everything's worse. For some reason, we are built that when we focus in on the good, the rest of that pales in comparison. Because God's made us that way. Not that we wouldn't have suffering, but that when you walk with the Lord and you look back at your life, you're able to see the good things. When you get together with friends that you haven't seen in years, you talk about the fight that you had in the sandbox? Not usually. Usually, you start talking about the memories. You start talking about the good things. You ever notice that you go to a funeral, and it could be a funeral for the worst guy on the planet? I mean, just the worst guy on the planet. You know, this guy was grumpy his entire life. Somehow somebody's there who's able to remember good things about them. And as that person starts to share the good things, a strange thing happens. Other people begin to share good things. But the enemy goes, focus on that. Life's horrible. Life's terrible. There's a reason that Christians are supposed to be the most cheerful people in the world. One, no more sin. You're not weighed down by sin. Okay, now I get it. Some people go, yeah, but I'm weighed down by these other things. Maybe. And Peter could have stayed there and gone, I denied Jesus. And he looked at me and he saw that I denied him. But it didn't stay there. Because you know what? The Lord doesn't let us stay there. He cares so much about us. They even know Peter spent all his time with the Lord. Jesus crucified, buried. He's resurrected. And Peter, being the great man of faith that he is, is right there by the Lord's side, standing at the tomb as the angel rolls the stone away. No! We don't read that about Peter at all. Where's Peter? Peter's gone, Dad, I screwed up. He's back fishing. The Lord said, Come be fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Peter has been such a successful disciple of the Lord, has just been so inspired, he's back fishing again. And if that's where the story ended, it'd be dang, look at that, a life of just so much potential but lost. The Lord doesn't leave us at the place of our failure. That isn't what he has for us. It's us that put ourselves in the place of the failure and then go, I might as well get comfortable here in the mud. The Lord goes to the beach and says, you caught any fish? And here's Peter with his wonderful inspirational faith. No, we haven't caught anything. doesn't even recognize who's speaking to him from the shore. The Lord tells him to throw the net over on the other side. You would have figured that would have caught us. And all of a sudden, Peter said, it says in the scripture, I think it was like 154 fish. Large fish is what they start to pull in. And Peter gets midway to the shore and all of a sudden it dawns on him and he goes, oh my gosh, 
Do you know who just told me my greatest fishing tip for the second time in my life? Rather than go on and be the world's greatest fish catcher, could have been on deadliest fish catching in the middle of the Mediterranean, but instead of that, he leaps out of the boat because he realizes, oh my gosh, look who that is on the shore. And he goes racing off to the shore and comes and sees Jesus. And what does Jesus do? You stupid fisherman, what in the world were you thinking? I can't believe it. You disowned me in the midst of that crowd after you just said you were going to stand with me. None of that. None of that. He makes lunch. Why do you think I love serving the Lord? He's the God who makes you lunch when you so screwed up. When you've done the worst thing that you thought you could ever do, and He's seen you do it, and you saw Him see you, He doesn't leave you there. He makes you lunch. And what does He say? Peter, do you love me? And He restores him to ministry. Guys, I don't care what's going on in your life, but if you let failure grab a hold of you, and you stay in that failure, that's it. You're done. You're done. But you don't have to be done. The Lord stands there. The Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David, King David, was one of the greatest kings in all of history, if not the greatest king, earthly king that there's ever been. You know what amazes me about David? It's a screw-up. He's a big screw-up. You know the difference between David and Saul? There was one difference between David and Saul. Saul let defeat beat him. He let his own failure beat him. David, the trick was, kept his heart soft towards the Lord. He turned and repented. The enemy will tell you, no matter what it is, no matter what you're trying to aim for, when you don't hit something, you make a mistake, the enemy will go, that's it, you're done. You're done. Give up. You're beat. You know the difference between success and failure? Learning from it. Turning. Keeping a heart soft towards the Lord. What did the Lord say of David? He was a man after my own heart. Does that mean that the Lord supports infidelity, unfaithfulness? Is that what that means? Oh yeah, we can just go race off and do whatever the heck we want to do? No, because that wasn't the defining characteristic of David. The defining characteristic of how he was a man after God's own heart was that he kept, and if he screwed up, he owned up to it, turned and went back to the Lord. That's the difference. Really cool thing that you may, may not know. I discovered that some of you, fortunately, do not know about this. You know, you know me and my illustrated sermons, you know how much I like them. Post-it notes. Pretty much sure all of us have seen post-it notes over the years now. You're going to get to leave with post-it notes. Here's the story behind post-it notes, though. Dr. Spencer Silver. His job was to improve the adhesives used in products sold by his company. One day, he somehow managed to make a glue that didn't stick to anything very well. Quite a product. It was very easy to pull off. He noticed when it peeled off, it still stayed quite sticky. To most people, that might have seemed completely useless. Screw up, you beat, 
However, Dr. Silver felt sure that his unusual adhesive must have a use, but he couldn't think of what it was. He spent the next few years trying to get other people in his company interested in a special adhesive, but nobody could think of what it could be used for. One of the guys, though, that he talks to is this guy by the name of Art Fry. He was intrigued by Dr. Silver's glue, but like everyone else, couldn't think of a good use for it. Art Fry happened to sing in the choir at his church, and he used to put bits of paper in his hymn book so that he could find the right page for the next hymn quickly. Sometimes all those bits of paper fell out, and he lost his place. He thought, if only I had some bookmarks that stuck like magnets to the pages without damaging them. Suddenly he remembered Dr. Silver's adhesive. And it was at that moment one of the most successful office products in the last 50 years was born. It was these. The company was 3M and the product was Post-it Notes. When 3M's made the first ones, people weren't interested in them. They didn't see any value in them. 3M sent free samples everywhere. And once people tried them, they wanted more and more of them. Orders came flooding in. The first product, the first thing was sold in 1980. Ten years later, though, Post-its was one of the most popular consumer products to have ever been produced. All from a failure. That's why I got them today. Because I want you to be able to have some Post-it notes so that you can remember I know Rachel can just post notes. But guys, if Dr. Silver had given up, nobody had had any post notes. How in the world did I ever find anything when I'm studying? Because I use them all over the place in Bibles and books. I've been known to put them underneath mine because I don't want to wreck them. I don't want to put highlights all the way through my book. I can't even give them away. I feel like 3M. Uh, I turned to her and I separated at the last second. Okay, you see why I, I like these? Do you understand why now a message on failure isn't necessarily one of the most uninspiring messages that you've ever heard in Scripture? Because it's truly God that is able to take failure and turn it into not only success, but something highly useful. That's what He does with our lives. That's why when the enemy starts to whisper in your ear, that you're able to go, no, forget it. I'm not buying into that. If God could use post-it notes, which incidentally we've just used in the middle of a service, and now you're never going to look at post-it notes again, and rightly so, because you should be able to look at post-it notes and go, I don't care what anybody says. If God could find a use for something that was deemed a failure by people with PhDs. These were highly educated people that said, man, you really screwed up, Dr. Silver. That stinks. That stuff's no good. What a, what a useless thing. 
and the world may say that about you. If somebody's ever told you you're useless, let me tell you, you're not. That not only does God have great things for you, but He can use you to change people's lives simply because you're who you are. We were made who we are. God is sovereign. You have not come here by an accident. You have come to this time and place in history because God wanted you here. He didn't want you somewhere else. He wanted you here. He has a purpose and a plan. You can trust Him in it. And know, and this is the thing that gets me through more days and more weeks than anything else, no matter what happens in my life, I am confident that God can use it for His good. He has a plan. He can even use the bad things that happen and turn them around for my good because He 